0: So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary,
1: here's Rob Black on
0: the Wall Street Business Network.
1: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Today is a day where Facebook is having a developer's conference for the next two days, over the next two days. and Facebook was founded in a Harvard dorm room a little more than a decade ago. Chinese civilization was founded thousands of years ago. Stay with me on this. While the Chinese economy has been growing fast, nothing compares to the rocket ship that is Facebook. So don't look now, but today Facebook now has as many users as China has people. Facebook and China both have a population of about 1.3 billion people. So the odd investing concept of the day is by buying Facebook, you're buying the equivalent, a country the size of China. China has yet to embrace the fast-growing social network, so Zuckerberg actually has opportunities to get more people when Facebook does crack China, if they do crack China. (coughs) Mr. Zuckerberg has picked up Mandarin, and he's very good at it. A couple months ago, he was pretty shoddy at it, but he's, he's doing quite well. Speculation is he might somehow lead Facebook into this gigantic untapped market. Uh, Facebook is doing quite well. They've got 11 or 12 different platforms other than Facebook or that are held within Facebook that a lot of people don't grasp the concept and the size and scope of the company. That's a company that I think does well in our lifetime, as long as you continue to see engagement by people 18 to 35. Um, that's going to be the big issue for them down the road, but that could last for quite a while even if they lose that segment. Let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton from NewFocusFinancial.com. That's NewFocusFinancial.com. Chad, there's been a lot of headlines about ETFs and how individuals can trade them for free. Let's talk about ETFs and what people need to know. Yeah, it, I mean, this
3: is, should be a core holding in people's portfolios, but it needs to be a core holding in the
1: right place, and they need to be used properly. ETF stands for exchange-traded fund. We know mutual funds are actively managed or passively managed. Um, Same thing
3: with ETFs? Yeah, now. I mean, they start off as passively managed products. So the best known ones are spiders symbol SPY, where you can buy the S&P 500, um, or QQQs. That's the other big one that is based on the NASDAQ. Um, you can look at the holdings there easily. Um, ETFs they trade all day long, and you can you have to the the holdings are reported on a daily basis. When you buy a mutual fund, if you trade in the morning, whether it's a buy or sell, you don't get the price till the end of the day. So mutual funds trade once a day. At the end of the day, they figure out the net asset value. ETFs are considered more transparent. They trade all day long, so you could do things like stop losses if you've decided you want to sell something. Um, You can do limit orders. It's a little bit easier to use, but the idea is that they're a little bit cheaper typically than the mutual fund, and they're a great tax-efficient way to get broad-based exposure in the right areas. And when I say the right areas, I like uh, if you're trying to do broad-based exposure into large caps or mid caps or certain sectors. That's when they work well. Um, Also, certain strategies like some of the dividend-increasing ETFs that are out there. Um, Vanguard has one. um, S&P has one. Those are great tools. Where I don't like them is in the areas of small cap or emerging markets or international because I think you need a manager to be a little bit smarter in terms of what companies in the
1: international indexes you truly, truly want to own. As a financial planner, as a portfolio manager, what are some of the products other than ETFs that you include in overall portfolios? Well,
3: I like them all. So a lot of firms out there will say, well, I'm only an index fund investor, or I'm only a managed mutual fund investor, or I'm only a stock picker. Um, You know, I decided a long time ago that I was never going to put myself in a box because things change, and I like stocks in certain specific areas, like dividend-increasing stocks. I like ETFs in large and mid-cap, and I like managed funds for my small cap, some of my mid-cap International or things like if I'm investing in certain types of oil and gas companies. Um, So there's good and bad in everything. And you can't just say you're one thing as an investor because as soon as you do that, you're probably going to be wrong.
1: There's a person who espouses buy and hope is dead and buy and hold is dead. And, you know, I I don't, where you say you don't put yourself in a box, I hate people that put themselves in boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you have to have an open mind. I think a Republican Congress is different than a Democrat Congress. I think a Republican president is different than a Democrat con- pro- Like, it changes how you might say, I, I feel a little bit better about, uh, you know, international companies. I feel a little bit better about defense companies. Mm-hmm. Well, I think
3: if you had to get a little bit more active, I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have ignored the t- fundamentals. but Or the not the fundamentals, but the technicals. So... Now, though, I'll use kind of quantitative analysis, just certain quant screens to narrow down the choices of stocks that we're going to look at because there's so many out there, right? And then uh, use fundamentals to determine which companies you want to buy. And then you use technicals as the last resort to just make sure that the entry point that you want to achieve is correct. Sometimes you don't want to buy until the chart looks maybe a little bit better and things have turned. Um, Sometimes you don't want to sell until the chart starts to break down. Um, But it's not the first. I mean, people that only trade on technicals, show me one
1: that's been really successful and always beat the market over the long run. Yeah, and if I were to give up my Call of Duty analysis, it would be like bringing a sniper rifle into a city battle. You don't do it. You bring a sniper rifle into a wide open desert. You know, I... I Six months ago, I would
3: have not known what you were talking about, but I finally played it with my son, and I realized how horrible I am at video games. Oh, yeah. I spent half the time shooting the wall or looking up <laughs> looking up in the sky. I can't get my thumbs
1: to work the same way. It's, it's horrible. It's awesome. So <laughs> as a financial planner, you know the right tools to use in the right scenarios. As a video game player, you don't, right. so you don't play video games. Same thing with investing. If you don't know the difference between an index ETF or... Uh, one that's more actively managed, what the costs are, what uh, different presidencies, what different inflation areas. Low inflation, you can make a lot of money. High inflation, it's tough to win in the market, and it's easy to win in the bond market. So different scenarios win in different um, environments. Yeah, I mean, there's
3: going to be a certain point where interest rate increases are okay, but after that, there might be a time to overweight in bonds again.
1: Good stuff. Tune in every day. Chad Burton is live and on air Mondays from 6 to 7 on KDOW. You can also find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, Macy's executive blaming Netflix for slow sales. I found this to be an intriguing story because blaming Netflix for slow sales is kind of a cop-out, I feel. But millennials have a tendency to spend money on electronics and online subscriptions rather than apparel. Uh, Things change. And as an investor, you really have to know that. Because you and I grew up with concepts like going to McDonald's was fun and entertaining. Now kids look at it as, "Eh, I'd rather eat elsewhere. I'll do it because I have no money, but that's the only thing I'm getting out of it. I'm not getting pleasure. Um, so you have to change with the times. Google's got really close ties with the Obama administration. It's one of the reasons you like the stock. It's something that you don't like about it, but it's something that you like uh, for it. The fact that, yeah, there's going to be antitrust concerns that are going to creep up very soon in Europe. And uh, it, since Obama's taken office, Google's averaged one meeting with Obama a week since he's taken office. 230-plus meetings. they have got some influence there. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Black, talking money, investing, and more. Sarah Jessica Parker, also known as Horsey Face, turns the big 5-0 today. But to us, she'll always be the forever 30-year-old Carrie Bradshaw, skipping down the scenes <laughs> of New York in her Manolo, Manolo Blancs, tripping down the runway in her Dolce & Gabbana sequin panties, and falling right into the arms of Mr. Big in Paris. Happy Big Five O, to Sarah Jessica Parker, a.k.a. Horsey Face. I bring that up because she's now available to get membership into AARP, American Association of Retired People, which I do not like that group. I do not like that group. Um, I think they do a lot of bait and switch with their content. I think they are a big moneymaker and... Uh, I don't think you should put yourself in a box like that. Let's talk a little real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, com. That's com. He's a mortgage lender. He's my friend. He's the guy who does my loans. He's a good guy to use because he'll run scenarios for you, and he'll walk you through the process. Uh, getting a lower rate, we dream about that. I mean, we all want the lowest rate. We all want to wait for the lowest rate. We all want to time it perfectly. We all want to know what's going to happen next week. How do you go about getting the lowest rate? What's your thoughts here?
2: Right. So at any point in time, there's going to be an average rate that's out there. There's never any kind of going rate. It's what they call an average rate. And it always comes along with some sort of point or a percentage of a point. Um, so the the best technique, and it's become more apparent in this type of industry, the, the way that mortgages are what they call qualified or risk-layered is your credit. The first thing that you'd want to do is fix your credit. Higher credit scores will give you the best uh, opportunity to get the lowest rate. The difference between a 640 score and a 740 score on a traditional type of 30 year fixed, about one percentage point on a $400,000 loan. That's about $2,400 a year. You're going to spend more just because your credit score was lower.
1: So how do you go about, I think you can manage things on your credit score. I think you can try, you can manage some things on your credit score to help you get that lower rate, but you can't manage the rate. Right. So that plays into psychology.
2: Right. That's another part of getting the lower rate is do you pay points? Uh, A lot of people are floating around these terms like no cost loans. A no cost loan does not necessarily mean a no cost loan because you're paying a higher rate to get lower cost. But if you keep that loan beyond that period of time, that would have paid you back that thirty five hundred dollars or so over five years. But you keep the house ten years. You wasted money. You wasted thirty five hundred in that extra five years. So you always have to look at the, the amount of time you sp- plan on staying in the ha- property. You have to look at the cost to have the br- to pay a point and see how long it takes you to pay that back. I've paid points on at least seven or eight mortgages,
1: and I've been happy on all of them but one. And and the reason I wasn't happy was I the hope I, that's
2: not the one I did for you, right?
1: Well, it kind <laughs> of is. Um, rates rates fell a lot. They fell from six percent down to four percent, down to three percent. Right. So when you bought points on a six percent loan down to five and a half percent. And then you're two years later, you're at 3%, 3.5%. Like, I didn't need that, to. That, you know. Right.
2: So that's something that a lot of people have I to I got unlucky,
1: but I got lucky at the same time because rates fell aggressively.
2: Right. So you made up a little bit of the points that you paid. That, that is something that a lot of people were getting into. And there's something called benefit-to-borrower rules. When people do refinance and they're trying to get lower rates every time, there has to be enough benefit to the borrower. You're, you're, you have to have your closing costs paid back in a certain period of time, usually 36, 48 months your uh, payment has to drop a certain percentage, usually 5 or 6% uh, in order for even Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac to even allow you to do the loan. So be, be very careful. Although there are some tax benefits, if you do pay a point and you do refinance a year later, you get to write it off all at once as opposed to over that you know 20-year so period. So um, buying points is one of the options. Um, locking for shorter terms. What's that mean? locking for shorter terms. Locking for a shorter term. So a 15-day lock, yeah. like say you're doing a refinance, you start the process that's and you lock it.
1: That's a damnation game.
2: Right, so you lock a rate, you hope the deal gets done. You hope it gets done in 15 days, but or most people are just floating and then locking it once they get to the point where they can order, you know, sign their documents and then you, sh- you maybe do a 10-day lock or something like that. But what you, what happens here is you risk rates going up. My philosophy on locking a rate is lock when you're comfortable. And locking doesn't protect it doesn't it's a, it's a protection from rates going up, not going down. And there are some float-down rules, but they have to float down. The rates have to drop significantly in order to take advantage of that. So that's another way to do that. Uh, using different products. We just talked about the 15-year um, yeah. and how the 15-year can make a, uh, you know, it's almost a three-quarter three, uh, three quarter spread between the 30-year and the 15-year. Um, that's one product. But the five-year, let's say you know you're going to stay in the let's property. Let's talk about 15 real quick because sure. we've got about a minute. My mom's now 78, and she has a 30-year
1: mortgage. If I want it to, her next mortgage is a 15-year because she ain't going to make it to 93. That's just like there's some – or me. I'm not going to retire in California. I don't need another 30-year mortgage. Like Maybe I will retire in California. I'm just saying mm-hmm. start applying scenarios to what sort of mortgage you need, right? Absolutely. Now back to you.
2: Well, uh, another product that you can ch- – no, another technique is to use like a shorter-term arm, like a five-year arm. If you know you're going to stay at a pro- uh, property for, let's say, five years – A five-year arm can be almost one point lower than a traditional 30-year fix with the same kind of equity and credit score. So, uh, And why give away that that extra percentage point every month? It's another way to get a lower interest rate.
1: Yeah. Talk to Tony. Oh, that should be your next radio show. You do a radio show in the Bay Area on KDOW on 1220 Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights, 6 to 7. People can find it at kdow.biz. If you want to stream it, it's kdow.biz. With that said, talk to Tony. He does mortgage loans. Uh, His show is The Real Estate Report. I'm Rob Black. This is Rob Black and Your Money on the Wall Street Business Network. Some mortgage rates have dropped recently. And what's interesting to note about that is we're seeing a surge in purchases and a surge in refis. The rate for a jumbo 30-year fixed mortgage is now sitting at 3.89%, actually lower than 30-year conforming at 3.9%. Both of those are near record lows or near lows for the year. Um, And it's good. I'm really, really proud that people are actually using not financial engineering, but the opportunity to get a good balance sheet going forward. That's something we don't talk a lot about on the show. We talk about, ah, the numbers are good and interest rates are low, or, oh, the stock market's an all-time high. But I refinanced four mortgages in the last three years, that set me up for the next 30 years as a very comfortable payment. Um, I think a lot of America has done that, too. With that said, that allows me to say, you know what? Let's go to some place that has nice sand and oceans making big waves. Let's, let's calm down and relax a bit with that money that we're saving. So I'll be a spender of that money for sure. With that said, uh, I'm really proud that Americans are doing this. Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Keurig has revealed a new recyclable K-cup. It's been a big negative on the company recently. The founder of Keurig uh, regrets inventing Keurig, even though it made him millions and millions and millions of dollars because of how much waste they used in those little coffee plastic pods. You can find out more about me at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Chad's got some great downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. If you want to see content about retirement and wealth preservation, go to newfocusfinancial.com. I'm real about to the
0: city light. There's lights on and fall that light. From what's wrong, what's your fear? Just when you're calling, i not I.
1: I'm rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. Drop me an email. Rob at com or Rob at RobBlackShow.com It's tax time. Wall Street gets a little silly at tax time thinking people are going to, you know, splurge and use their refunds on certain sectors. I don't tend to... Do angle my portfolio that way. Um, It's just not me. I want you to get really good at some very basic concepts. Um, I want you to challenge yourself. Retirement is a big issue. We're all going to get there. Or we're going to die. Taxes, big issue. I hate paying taxes even though taxes tell me I've earned money. Investing is something that I think we're all fascinated by. Wow, I can put $100 in stock and it will be worth $110. My $100 just made baby $10, woo! There's something sexy about that, right? I'm talking thong sexy, I'm not talking granny panty sexy. There's something fun about investing. And I kinda want to take some of that out of it, of that for you. I'd rather you think about retirement as sexy Having a lot of money in retirement to do whatever you want is sexy, but the investment part should be almost robotic. And on occasion, if you want to buy something fun, that's fine. But if you're buying Tesla, and this is the best example I can give you, it's kind of like playing blackjack. It's kind of like taking money and going to Wall Street, uh, Vegas, and gambling. In the short term, anything can happen. In the long term, if you're buying a great company, that's important. Warren Buffett somewhere in his head says something along the lines of, um, I'm company sensitive, not price sensitive. So, he doesn't really care about the price of a company, as long as it's company, you know, is something that he believes in. And I kind of, I'm with him on that. If you're going to be investing in individual stocks, I think most people should do index funds and ETFs. I think people get in trouble when they buy individual stocks, and if it doesn't work out for them, they blame the stock market. Not their own ignorance, but the stock market. Every single person needs to save 10 to 15% of their salary while they're earning income. Because our retirement system isn't set up to reward you in retirement. It's set up to get enough food on your table so that you don't starve. But that's about it. And it's fair to say that our government isn't the smartest. They've promised a lot of dollars to future people. And they're not, it's taking more and more people to collect them to support just one. Saving and spending are things that you need to get control of. Um, Saving you automatically have to save. The more the better. 10% is good, 20% is awesome. Um, Spending. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I go to, like, a Sharks game. And yesterday we learned that 45% of America saved nothing. Nothing. They're one broken leg away from being p- p- broker than dirt if they can't go to work. I go to a Sharks game, and I look around, and I'm like, 45% of the people in here haven't saved a dime. And yet, this place is filled with 18,000 people spending... Easily two hundred dollars a night, easily. And I'm like, okay, they're not going to be ready, so get control of your spending somehow, some way, some shape, some form. I'm not saying don't enjoy life. I'm saying try to figure it out. Uh, home and real estate important. I know a lot of people listen to radio shows about real estate and like, I want to, I want to own real estate. You know who owns real estate? Big developers. Guy at my gym uh, mentioned something about you know one of his first real estate deals. He sold a mall and then he went out and bought a Porsche. And his dad basically, and then he went out and crashed the Porsche. And his father basically was like, "You made more in one transaction than I made in my whole career." If you think you're going to be the next big real estate mogul, good luck to you. If you think owning real estate is easy and finding renters, good luck to you. Uh, typically renters will stay, you know, maybe one year. That depends on where you're getting your rental market. If you're able to afford something like, you know, Palo Alto, you're going to have renters that stay there for 18 years because they're like want the school system. Uh, but if you're going out to like Stockton, you're going to get people that are in and out in one year arrested for meth. You're not going to get the ideal renter. So be very, very cautious. I know it sounds great. Like, Ooh, other people's money. But you're basically being sold something uh, because you're ignorant. And you're being sold something by someone who's ultimately pretty ignorant. I'd be very, very cautious thinking of uh, trying to own a duplex. I'm not saying no. I'm trying to own a triplex. I'm not saying no. But there's bigger money out there than you. And uh, I get emails every week. You know, people wanting to cash out their savings so they can get into real estate it's typically a sign that the market's at a high. Cars are real important. Um, I've got a car with 144,000 miles on it. I can easily afford a new car. But until I get signs of trouble with this one, I just beat it and run it out. I also have a a truck. Uh, One is utility and one is, you know, function. Uh, The goal of my life is not to have a new car. The goal of my life is to get to retirement with a plenty of savings and also just, you know, respect the fact that I work hard for my money. I kind of try to put it in perspective that my perspective is that I'm a stripper and I get up on a pole and I dance. So every dollar that I spend, I'm like, I don't want to get up on a pole and dance anymore. Or if I do, I want that money to be well thought out. Even though I'm more white color than say a dancer, I try to think of myself as a blue-collar dancer. How long am I gonna have this body to shake? How long am I gonna have, you know, the want and desire to entertain people? I don't know. know. Uh, So I look at every dollar that I spend intelligently. And this is fascinating because uh, Macy's CEO came out and blames Netflix for slow sales. So this tells me that if she's right, then I'm screwed, that people aren't saving, that people aren't thinking wisely about their dollars. Okay, now why would Macy's executive blame Netflix for slow sales? Stop and ask yourself that question. She's blaming Netflix for her brand's slow sales. Millennials have a tendency to spend money on electronics and online subscriptions rather than apparel. I think part of that is that customers are buying other things, whether they're electronics, cable service, Netflix, or whatever, she says. The brand is struggling to attract a younger audience. Sales grew 1.4% last quarter, less than analysts had expected. Some products like cosmetics are selling well with the younger set. But consumers today have priorities other than clothing and housewares. Shoppers are spending more on their disposable dollars on categories that we don't sell like cars, healthcare, electronics, and home improvement. Um, I find that fascinating that a Macy's CEO has the cojones to blame Netflix for their sales issues. Macy's plans to lure millennials in by focusing on wedding registries for when they do get married. That investment could lead to a kind of keep them and her after they get married and grow up. Um, I don't know. I I think, to me, that's just the most fascinating CEO excuse of the week. Uh, And I don't think it's wrong. So... I know a couple millennials that they live very, very frugally. They party like rock stars. Um, They date like porn stars. They, you know, travel like adventurers. But they live very, very frugally elsewhere. I've known two women under 35 that I got to see some slice of their life. Um, Three now that I'm thinking about it. Um, that things like TVs they don't care about. They'd rather watch something on their iPad and/or on their phone. Uh, one person said, you know, uh, she didn't. She got a Kindle, Amazon Kindle Fire tablet reader, book reader, in large part because books take up room and they're too much clutter. She didn't want a TV because it had cables. They're <laughs> unsightly her refrigerator was stocked with nothing but alcohol because she wanted to eat fresh food. I know that's not all of them, and I know that millennials lie, and I know that they do eat McDonald's, but would they prefer something else? Yeah, and that's worthy of note. So I guess trying to tie this all together, you know, the simple things that you need to do, retirement, taxes, investing, credit and debt, saving, spending, home and real estate, cars, college, insurance. You always have to be pushing yourself to say, am I making the best decision with my dollar? And if you're not, I think you're, I'm not saying, you know, get consumed by this stuff, but don't be ignorant either. Um, you know, there was a point in my life, and I've got a friend who uh, is on a you know parallel track, where going on, you know, big scale vacations, big resorts, spending a lot of money, That meant something to me when I was younger and sexier. And as you get older, just sitting on the beach means something, more so than the resort. Resort's nice, but the beach is better. I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
0: trying to say, oh yeah,
2: it's business time. It's business, it's
0: business time. I know what you're trying to say, you're trying to say it's time for business, it's business time. Ooh. It's business,
2: it's business time. Oh oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, we're in the bathroom brushing out teeth. That's all part of it. That's foreplay. Foreplay is very important.
1: In love I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Play, Joining me now, really Dr. Jeff Rosen from Briefing.com, Chief Economist. How are you today, Mr. Rosen? Dr. Jeff? Can you hear me? I can hear you. There you are. Um, how are you? I'm pretty good. Okay. So on to business. Um, bad news is good news for the stock market. Is bad news good news for you when today we see durable goods orders fall
4: 1.4% or is bad news just bad news? I mean, the econ front, bad news is just bad news. I mean, The, gotcha. the stock market has been moving on, you know, the odds of a rate hike and bad news in their minds makes, you know, rate hike get pushed off, which is good news for, you know, the equity market because it keeps money more in equities and bonds. But as, as an economist, I don't want to see people out of work. I don't want to see, you know, people's incomes fall or, you know, having, you know, problems because of economic constraints. So, to me, bad news is bad news.
1: The report that I pointed out right there to start, um, as far as um, big-ticket items, how bad
4: is that news? Um, I mean, it's bad because it's been an ongoing trend. I mean, if you look at CapEx uh, demand I mean, for business investment, we've had six consecutive months of monthly declines in um, orders of non-defense capital goods, excluding aircraft. If you look at uh, non-transportation orders, you've had several months in a row of declines. I mean, th- this is a, you know, an ongoing event. This isn't just one month's worth of data. You know? And you know, what's interesting is that you keep hearing reports that, oh, February is bad because you had you know, inclement weather in, in the northeast. And there was no doubt that you had bad weather. But every report has been bad, you know, it's not just, you know, one section or one area or even one month. I mean, the data since, you know, in January really has been has been terrible. So, you know, it's not a very good start to the year. It, it doesn't say that you're going to have a strong rebound like we saw last year when weather effects uh, may have played a role in the uh, Q1 contraction uh, in 2014. But this year it just seems different. With that
1: being said, you kind of just painted a broad brush where all the data is bad so far this year. Jobs numbers are pretty good, though, right?
4: That's really been the the only area that we've been seeing Really nice growth over multiple months, you know, levels that uh, are normally associated with a, an improving economy. So it seems, at least, that companies believe that things that are going on right now may be temporary. You know that they're hiring not for you know March sales; they're hiring because Q3 and Q4 sales are going to be strong, and they need to meet meet that demand. So. In that respect, things are going well. It's just the fact that, you know, typically you don't think of uh, payrolls as a leading indicator. You, it's more of a coincident indicator, even possibly a lagging indicator. Uh, so the fact that payrolls are, are continuing to improve you know, doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to get better. You know, that, that's a, it's not really the story in that case. We're hearing a lot of talk from Fed officials
1: that expect interest rate hikes this year. Um, are you in that camp and do you think that's a smart thing for them to be saying right now? Uh
4: if if anybody's been reading my work or listening to me, on, you know, on your show, I'm right. a, about as dovish as you could possibly get. I'm You know, I'm at the point where I don't see why you would raise rates in 2015. You know, at this point, my forecast wouldn't call for rates to be raised, you know, at least until the middle of 2016. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, the Fed won't do it or that if the Fed does choose to raise rates, it's not going to be, you know, an economic calamity. But – you know, we're looking at the two main factors, the targets of what the Fed is supposed to do. They're supposed to maintain full employment and manage inflation. And you have downward trending inflation. If you look at core, if you look at, um, you know, basically any measure of inflation is downward trending. Uh, and then if you look at the unemployment rate, that rate looks good. I mean, we're at 5.5 percent. The CBO. Suggests that uh, the full employment rate is 5.4%. So, according to that measure or that metric, you know, we're right at the cusp of full employment. We shouldn't be able to get much, much better uh, uh, labor market growth, you know, in the mean, in the near term. But, you know, in my opinion, and I think the Fed said uh, in their minutes last week that since you, you know, the Fed believes that you can get better labor market conditions, my opinion is that the unemployment rate is biased. That you know, several million people have left the labor force. You know, while they were dis- from discouragement during the Great Recession, these workers who would normally come back during a regular recovery remain on the sidelines. So instead of counting all these people as unemployed, they're just not factored into the unemployment rate. So you have an unemployment rate that's you know severely lower than what it normally should be. Uh, I looked at just wages, you know, and then back of the envelope calculation based on wage growth you would expect an unemployment rate around 8%. You know, there have been other calculations that looked at more of demographics and labor force dynamics, and they have uh, you know forecasts of an unemployment rate of 9% today. And if you plug in those numbers, downward-trending inflation, an 8 to 9% unemployment rate, you would have no reason whatsoever to raise rates. I mean, you would be probably seeing arguments as saying, you know we need to add more stimulus to the economy keep it going what are we why are we stopping the quantitative easing why are we even thinking raising rates but the fact is if you look at the headline number and you plug that number into a typical taylor rule or, or fed forecast on on in, uh where rates should go you could get a you you could make an argument for positive Uh, you know, Fed funds rate. But, you know, that's based on on a number, you know, the unemployment rate that I just believe is bogus right now. And, you know, downward turning inflation, which doesn't improve when you uh, raise rates. I have a question.
1: Um, One of the things that you have to do is kind of project a little bit of the future and gas prices have come down. That's helping the consumers in theory. Mortgages, I think, have, been an untold story in the last five years with incredibly low rates. People have changed their balance sheets by refining, refining, getting a better, longer, lower rate, which should help us for the next 10, 15, 20 years in our economy. I certainly have refinanced four mortgages, and I feel like, hey, I got extra money. Um, do you feel that the consumer is going to benefit from those two events, the lower gas prices and the lower mortgage rates, or are we just going to blow the well, money regardless? and not get to where we
4: want to it's come. kind of surprising lower mortgage rates when you look at economic models and look at dynamic models that like the fed would be using doesn't really impact the economy very much because what you're doing is transferring money from bank owners to non-bank owners but the overall um, pot is necessarily not changed so people that had bank stocks saw lower returns because they weren't getting, you know, uh, payments to mortgages that had higher rates. So, you know, you don't really see it. What you'll see possibly is a better marginal rate of spending or a lower marginal currency to save because you don't need to save as much to pay for your mortgage as you did in the past, but it's it's pretty minor. The gas prices are good if consumers decide to, you know, to use that money and spend it in, as opposed to saving it. What we've been seeing over the last few months is that uh, consumption growth has underperformed income growth even though gas prices have come down. So what people have been doing is they've been stockpiling not only some extra income gains but they've been stockpiling those gas price savings. And since that's more of an internal spending cons- uh, component. That's reducing potential economic growth more than the uh, the drop in mortgage rates. So, to me, that's a challenge. You know, why are consumers deciding to hold back on spending this you know windfall of income, you know, these lower gas prices that could only help the economic growth, and, and they're not doing that.
1: Speaking with the Chief Economist Dr. Jeffrey Rosen, briefing dot com site that I start every day at, typically with uh, you know, the front page, the first page. Um,
4: Anything else that you're working on that you want to bring up? We've got about a minute, minute and a half. I mean, we're looking again next week to get another employment report. You know, it seems to be what everybody wants to look at to see how things are. I mean, the the key components of the report, not necessarily the headline payroll number. It's going to be, you know, are, are we seeing wage growth? Are we seeing income growth? Uh, you know, we're going to want to look at the unemployment rate, but not specifically the unemployment rate, but to see if we're seeing any discouraged workers return, if we're going to see another increase in the labor force. So don't get too caught up in the headlines, but, it, you know, this, these reports now are you know, more looking at into the weeds to see where trends are actually coming because that's going to detect how, um, you know, the economy is going to respond in the next several months. You know, really we need to see some good uh not necessarily payroll numbers, but good wage gains, and that's going to be key. Thanks very much. That's Dr.
1: Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. I think next week I'm going to have to ask him what he sees the ideal unemployment number going to, because now we are starting to focus on not necessarily the, you know, 5-5 five, five to 5-4, five, but wage inflation. We want to see that happen to to improve the economy. Some people don't want to see it happen to keep interest rates low with the Fed. It's a damnation game. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money invested, and more. You can find out more about me at robblack.com. You can find out more about briefing.com at briefing.com. A very reliable source. We
0: were the challenges of the hour.
1: I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I might be a pain in the butt at times. Know that I care greatly about the listener. And I care deeply about the company that I work for and the station that broadcasts the show. Um, I pledge if you listen, I'll try to, you know, continue to pound home ideas that help you. Like, don't pay off your mortgage unless you're wealthy or poor. It's a low cost of money. It's a predictable low cost of money. And the toughest thing in the world to do is get money invested in the stock market. So every time you send in extra money on your mortgage, you're not sending extra money into your stock market, your retirement, your nest egg. Money doubles every 7.2 years. Paying off your mortgage will save you, yes, about 15% in interest. It'll make a million-dollar purchase that, you know, has $2 million in payments over your lifetime, you know, $1.7 So you could save significant amounts of money for sure by paying off your mortgage early. But you earn 40% more with money that you put in the stock market. And if you do it on a younger person basis, it's even more powerful. So the ability to earn money with your money versus the ability to save interest by paying off debt. If your mortgage rate was 8 nine, ten 9%, 10%, I'd say pay it off. But we're not there. When you get a mortgage, you're, it, you know, Part of the interest is tax deductible. That's awesome. So suddenly a mortgage that's 4% is like 3.6% with the amount of money that you're saving in taxes. And the fact that it doesn't readjust for inflation is even more powerful. A dollar today decreases in value over time. Your purchasing power of it. I pledge if you listen, I will do everything I can to get you in the right mind. I'll tell you things like I hear mortgage investors Say, come in for an annual checkup on your mortgage. Be careful. Come in for your annual checkup on insurance. Be careful. Term life is typically the best life insurance to get, and you invest the rest. Trying to convince people of that is difficult. I have a neighbor who knows what I do, and she makes the worst financial decisions possible, continuously and consecutively. And she asked me about it. I'm like, that's a horrible, horrible idea. It's like, I did it. I'm like, why, why not consult with me first? Um, yeah, people get intimidated. The financial industry or the insurance industry as well can, you know, intimidate people. And I get it. Um, you see somebody in a, a nice shirt and tie, and you're like, ooh, he's got a nice shirt and tie. Uh, it's like real estate agents. I don't like my real estate agents to be the hot, young, sexy real estate agent, whether guy or girl. I want my real estate agent to be 65 plus who's worked in this one market for 40 years, who knows the previous house owner, who knows all the schools, who knows, you know, other realtors. Because when you're selling a house, what you want is the person who knows the most realtors. Because he's going to call up all of his friends and say, hey, I've got a dandy of a house coming up. Come see the open house. Whereas when you're working with younger people, they haven't figured it out yet. I know it's a very odd concept. When you're buying a house, you want that old seasoned person, in my opinion. And again, there are exceptions to all rules. But when I got my home recently, six years ago, there was no other offers. What other house in the Bay Area has sold with no other in the last 10 years? Probably very, very, very few. I didn't have to get into a bidding war. I had gotten into bidding wars so that I had lost before. Psychologically, I was actually very calm going into that transaction because I knew, like, hey, they asked 950, I got it for 950. Now I had an amazing package put together for it, but you get the idea. You listen, I'll do my best. The Greek goddess of victory. The Greek goddess of victory. Say that in English, Rob. When I said it the first time, it sounded like victory. The Greek goddess of victory, Nike. The world's number one apparel company and shoe company in the world. I was at the gym yesterday, and I saw this old man, like really old, on the treadmill. Not on the treadmill, but uh, elliptical. And he was wearing a Nike orange shirt. And I have a Nike orange shirt. And I'm like, shit, they dominate this game. You know, there's Under Armour, who's cute. I like Nike, but it's also one of the most expensive stocks in the stock market. You know why? Because everyone knows they dominate men's running and women's clothes, action clothes. They market sports-inspired products for children, various competitive and recreational activities, such as golf, tennis, walking, sportswear. Nike sells a through more than 850 owned retail stores worldwide, plus thousands of retail accounts, independent distributors and licensees. They had a great quarter, but it's really one of the most expensive stocks out there. In a market correction, they're gonna come down in value. But I don't play when is the market gonna correct. I play how long do I plan to be alive and invested. And I think if your time frame is over five years, I need you can buy it and relax. Go make love to your spouse now. Do something. Be productive. Go make a baby. Babies help the economy. Right? Are you with me against me? So Kraft and Heinz getting together. Uh, this is a story I've kind of stayed away from today. Lee, Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce, Costco pizza, or Ida-frozen potatoes. Boston Market, TGIF, Weight Watchers, all the frozen foods for those companies, Jell-O, Vita Cheese, Crystal Light, Kool-Aid, craft up 47% on the deal. It's an interesting thing because to me, yes, it's a food company, but they're in kind of the wrong spaces for the future. Um, not very nutritional. People are shifting to smaller, less processed foods. It's an interesting deal because it's a worldwide distribution deal and the foods aren't gonna go out, I just don't think there's a lot of growth pop. Some of them, I think there's a lot of cost savings in this deal. Find me online at robblack.com. The views and
0: opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network. This station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision